Welcome to Your Team with Sue and Steph. I'm Sue. And I'm Steph, and we are the co-founders and owners of Your Teen Media, the resource for parenting tweens and teens. And today, we're going to be talking with Paria Hasuri, pediatrician, activist, and author of Found in Transition, A Mother's Evolution During Her Child's Gender Change. It's a memoir detailing her experience as the mother of a transgender daughter. But before we talk to her, we want to talk a little bit about this extraordinary interview we did with Paria and how it made us reflect on times in our life where we may have had a similar emotion that she felt when her daughter came out to her. So, Steph, I think you're going to start, right? My story is not at all Paria's story and Ava, her, her daughter's story, but it is a story of when we feel the vulnerability for our kids. So I was thinking about a time when we had moved one of our kids from a public school to an independent school. And he was a, how old was he? He must have been 14, 13, 14. And we just felt like it wasn't working for him. And I remember feeling like the judgment or maybe perceived judgment from the community. I remember feeling like, um, am I going to have to defend this decision? What's it going to feel like for him? Is it is this my story to tell? What's he going to experience going there? And it was so complex, and I couldn't, I couldn't flesh out what were my feelings, what were his feelings, and what were and then what was I putting on the whole thing? Like, in terms of was I putting my feelings onto him? With all of that, how do I best support him? And I remember just feeling incredibly weepy all the time. If I would start talking about it, I would start crying. If I thought about it, if not even thinking about it, I felt weepy. And it's just that when your child is entering into a space where you feel like, when your child is entering a space where you feel like their vulnerability is up, it played on my emotions in such a hard way. And it's probably only now, maybe how many years later, six years later, I could probably start crying again, actually, thinking about it. But trying to preserve his safety, his well-being, and almost like a, it's kind of like now, like if somebody could hand you the crystal ball and be like, oh, well, this is how it's going to look then. You'd be like, oh, I could get rid of all of that then because <laughs> it's going to be okay over here. But that's not how parenting is. So I had the same story because my third kid left a Jewish day school to go to a public school her junior year of high school. I dropped her off to visit the school and I started crying. And I thought like, wow, what a weird reaction. Like to to the outside world, this doesn't seem like a big deal. But to Mm -hmm. me, it was a huge loss of something and uncertainty about how I would parent a kid in a public school because I had spent at that point 18 years parenting kids in the same school and felt very comfortable in how I was as a parent in that environment. For me, so much of it was about my vulnerability as a parent. The next story that I'm going to tell is about my son coming out. And I try to think about why I cried over that story. And I think it's the same reason that I cried over my daughter going to public school. I was terrified at what that meant for me as a parent. And how do I parent a child in something that I don't understand? So I will say when he came out, both my husband and I, we weren't really surprised And so we did have a a really I love you reaction. And I think we we weren't playing the part of parents saying that. We just meant it. Like whoever you are and how you live your life, we're we're here for you and we will support you and love you. But then when he he left, I really I spent I think I think I spent two weeks crying. And I even think I said to myself, I'm giving myself two weeks to cry. 
But it was a little bit weird to me to try to figure out how I could have anticipated that my son was likely gay. Due to a, a number of things that had happened over the years, it just seemed like that was a possibility. And then when it became a reality, having to really confront what is it I'm crying about? And, you know, there's all these stories about how your kid, uh, think of your picture on the mantle and it's going to be different. Or you put your kid on an airplane to fly to Paris and the plane switches to go to another place and you have to shift. And all of those things are really 100% true. It is so hard to adjust our expectations for our kids in big ways and little ways. And that can be a diagnosis for your child. That can be coming out. That can be a host of things that even, you know, what seems so insignificant, changing schools. And what it did for me as a parent was I had to really rethink a lot of things, a lot of assumptions I had made in our life and kind of say, what am I really scared about? And what's fair to even talk to my kid about? So I, I spent those two weeks and for time after that, really thinking about who do I want to be in this story? Like, I'm certainly not afraid. I'm, I, I did not see myself as someone who was afraid of because my son was gay. But I didn't know, were his friends going to be kind to him? Were his, you know, what was he going to meet somebody? What was our community going to say about it? There were so many things that are very parallel to what you're going to hear in our interview. I think fairly universal. And one of the things that I feel so grateful about with Paria sharing her story, and by the way, definitely read her book. It's just a beautiful love story. And with all the raw emotions that go along with it of, of trying to come to terms with it. But what I love most about her is that it's hard to hang on to the rawness of that initial emotion. In fact, not only is it hard, it's kind of healthy to let go of it mm-hmm. because we need to move on. But if we don't in some way capture the real emotions at that time, we're not helping anyone else because people will say to me, oh, but you adjusted so easily. Right. And like, yeah, two weeks is not a lot of time in people's lives, but that was a really, really deeply hard time for me, those two weeks. And I, I would say that I don't know how anyone gets information like that and doesn't have to grieve over letting go of another story. You know, we all write these stories for our lives and and information interferes with that story and then we have to pivot. Yeah, I think it's so interesting and it's funny like as you're t- as you're telling the story I'm back to the moment when you shared what Jeremy had just shared it with you and you know we were sitting I, I remember where we were sitting and I remember having that thought like Of course it was he told us to keep it a secret so I didn't really tell Stephanie but I no, might have not told really. Stephanie. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> um so I have this friend <laughs> I remember sitting there and looking at you and feeling very vulnerable with you and crying and, you know, all this news and, but also looking at you and thinking, eh, she's going to integrate this in like a week and she's, it's just who she is. And it's Jeremy's Jeremy and she's going to keep going. But this, how does this fit in? How does the mantle, I remember saying that, right? Like it's, the mantle looks different. I think as a parent, these are the things, and you'll hear Paria talk about this, where that vulnerability and that where you really, for her, it was a kid who was transitioning, but where you were forced to now just look at that kid who's in front of you and parent that kid. And it's funny, we were, there was something, maybe on one of our channels, we asked about what was the best advice ever giving you. And of course, I can't remember who said it, but the advice was parent the kid you were given, not the one you thought you were going to be given. And it applies in so many 
in so many situations. It's even about parenting the kid in front of you, not even. Yes. Like, because that, yes. that changes. Like our, yeah. kids, our kids evolve and change. And sometimes we liked who they were before better than who they're turning into now. Yeah. And we still have to find the resources or even play the part of a parent who loves exactly who's in front of them. Up next is our conversation with Paria. We can't wait for you to join us. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Our guest today is Dr. Paria Hasuri. Dr. Paria Hasuri's memoir, Found in Transition, A Mother's Evolution During Her Child's Gender Change, is a personal story that chronicles a dual transition her child's transition from male to female, and her transition through anger, denial, and grief to eventually arrive at acceptance and wholehearted advocacy for her child's transgender identity. Her personal essays have been published in the Washington Post, the Los Angeles Times, the Huffington Post, Kevin MD, and Grown and Flown. Thanks for being with us, Paria. Thank you so much for having me. When Ava came out, you share that one of your greatest regrets will always be that you spent months in denial. How did you move from denial to acceptance to gender rights activist? The first thing in terms of moving on from denial was that there came a point where I just couldn't be in denial any longer because really her safety and mental health and mental well-being were at stake and she was having suicidal thoughts. So for me to continue to stay in denial was just pure dangerous. So that sort of forced me to then start to look for answers and join a support group. And I think what ultimately made the biggest difference for me was joining a support group with other families who have transgender kids and transgender young adults and really getting educated, realizing that I'm not alone in this, seeing other families who had trans children and trans young adults who were thriving and doing really well so that my, uh, you know, I went from sort of this despair for her future to hope for her future. And that's really ultimately what made the difference was surrounding myself with the right community of people. Oh, that's beautiful. I think that's a really helpful thing for our, our audience of parents to hear. What's the first thing that you did to show Ava that you were her biggest fan? I remember the very first time that I felt like I'm actually taking charge and doing something for her was when 
she had an upcoming choir concert and she didn't want to have to wear, and she was in men's choir, was a fresh, freshman year, and she didn't want to have to wear the mandatory uniform for the men's choir, which was just black slacks and a, and a white shirt. And her choir teacher was very, very strict on the on the clothing rules. And so the first time I wrote an email, and she wasn't out at school. So, you know, it's hard when you're not out, but you still don't want to wear what's, what's required of you to wear. It's, it's easy, easier if you're out and you just say, well, I'm not a boy, you know, I, I'm, I'm a girl. But when you're not out and you still want to break, you know, sort of the rule of, of what you're supposed to wear, it's, it's harder. And so I had to write an email to her school counselor and the choir teacher saying, this is what's going on in our family we don't know what's happening and what's in her future. We're not sure if it's real or not, but this is what's happening right now. And we're taking it day by day and and we need her to be able to wear something different. And this is private. So, and so I just felt like I was really taking action and and then they both responded very positively. And, and I felt like finally I was advocating for her because prior to that, she'd had to be advocating for herself. So Ava's your middle child, right? Yes. How did the other kids deal with it? The other kids were surprisingly almost completely unfazed by it. Her, who I was most worried about, I was really worried about her older brother, who was in high school with her and they're two years apart and they've always been glued at the hip. And I was so worried that their relationship would change, you know, going from two brothers to brother and sister. And he just didn't care at all. It really made no difference to them, to him. And they continued to be as close as ever until he moved away to college. And so things just changed because he moved away to college. But while he was home, I mean, they remained as close as ever. Their conversations didn't change. They still would, you know, go get in and out together, play video games together, really just do all the same things. Really nothing changed. My younger daughter, who's about three years younger than Ava, She literally had like two days of going through different emotions and and then everything was fine, you know, and it's very interesting because when we told my younger daughter, her initial reaction was like excitement. Oh, I'm going to have a sister. And then two seconds later, wait, like that means I'm not going to have a brother. And you saw this wave of emotions in her face and then. Within a minute, she ran across the room and hugged her and said, I love you. And so even though she was going through all these things, she knew that the right thing to do is just to go and say, I love you, which is completely the opposite of how I, you know, reacted. Um, So really incredible to see how appropriately they handled it, especially compared to how I handled it. Thank God they're growing up in a different world. And it just isn't that extraordinary to them. Yes, it really is. Yeah. So you touched on something before when um, I think it was the email you said that, you know, this is private. And, you know, so I, you know, the first question that I was just sitting here thinking about this and obviously hopefully with Ava's permission, was she ever bullied as she was going through this? 
I wouldn't say that she was ever bullied. I think of bullying as a little bit more severe, I guess. I'm not, but there would be occasional comments like, you know, what the hell are you wearing? Or like, what's wrong with you? You know, sort of statement that she would just ignore or walk past or or one of her friends would step in or, and defend her. I guess I think of bullying as more sort of like a relentless or persistent teasing behavior. And there there really wasn't any of that. And that was, you know, one of my fears was that she was going to get bullied. But there were occasional comments, but not anything where, you know, one person was persistently, you know, bothering her or, or making inappropriate comments to her. Did her friendships change? Uh, a lot of her friendships changed. I would say that she went from having, you know, when she was younger, most of her friends were boys. And so now now she's a senior in high school, so she has a mix of boy and girlfriends. But certainly when she, when she first came out, most of her friends were girls. And I would say she's generally closer to girls and has more girlfriends right now. Of all her prior friends who were boys, one of her childhood friends at two of her uh, friends, one from school and one from out of school, who were two of her really good boyfriends, she remains incredibly close with. But most of the other friends she had who were boys, she's, she's no longer friends with. She has new friends who are boys who, you know, she's met through choir and like is subsequently friends with, but a lot of her friendships did change. You know, that story is pretty typical anyway of a kid in high school, right? With these evolving friendships. I wanted to ask you, you know, your evolution in this process as a parent, it was, it, you could feel in your book how transformative it was for you uh, and how your heart opened to something that you hadn't experienced before. So did that translate, was it just in terms of Ava or did you become a new parent for all three of your kids? I think I became a new parent for all three of my kids. I think this really teaches you to live in the present and take things day by day and not make any assumptions about what the future is going to hold for any of your children. I think a lot, you know, a lot of parenting is projecting into the future. And a lot of it is fear for fear based, you know, for, for the future, you know, what's going to happen with this, what's going to happen with that if he does this, she does this, what's going to happen with that? You know, and you, that applies to sort of all of our children. And I think when you have a child who's transgender, you're really forced to look at the child in front of you that day and parent what's in front of you each day. And that sort of really translated into all three of my kids to sort of realize that I don't know what the future holds for any of them. And, um, that I just need to each day parent the child in front of me and be open to how they're going to evolve and who they're, who they're going to be. So when Ava started hormone therapy, mm -hmm. did people, other adults, try to convince you that that wasn't the right path? That, oh, this could be a phase, you know, what, she's so young. Yeah, there, I definitely had several people who who made statements like, you know, she's too young, you should wait till she's an adult. I think that, and one of the things that 
I want people to know, and I think one of the things people realize when they read my book and, and actually the feedback from other parents of trans kids reading my book has been that no parent is, you know, making these decisions lightly. <laughs> you know, we, we are going through, you know, I think a lot of times people see you, for example, you post a picture of your family on Facebook with your child, you know, presenting in their now authentic gender identity and you're all smiling and you look happy and people think that, oh, you're this like one big supportive family and don't really, they aren't aware of sort of the backstory and, and this, and the struggles that you may have had and the decisions that you've you know, you've, you've had to make for your child. And, you know, no parent is making these decisions for their kids lightly. You know, my book shows how much of a struggle it is to, you know, to make these decisions. And other parents of trans kids have said that, you know, they appreciate that I showed that because sometimes it, it seems like you are being judged for allowing your child to medically transition if, if you decide to, you know, do that. These aren't decisions we make lightly. Obviously, we are taking into account our child, what is best for them. We are taking them to professionals, you know, in this field who are helping us make these decisions for them. So I just think that, you know, no parent should make those sorts of statements to another parent without being in their shoes. And, you know, you would never make a comment to a parent about how they're handling their child's diabetes or asthma or something else. I'm not really sure why people think that they can make a comment about how we choose to make decisions about our children's medical transition. The next thing we wanted to talk about was is a segue from what you just said, which is how can we do it better? So, you know, one of the things that happens when we hear about somebody else's incident in their family, whatever that is, a kid coming out as gay, as trans, whatever information it is, most people have it in them to say, I want to do the right thing with by my friend, but I have no idea what that looks like. I know when my son came out, I got a wide array of responses, some of them which had a tone of voice like my son had just died. And so I had to decide then that I would go with the, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. But in fact, I think we all would love to know what is the right thing to say, you know, under I mean, many circumstances, but let's talk specifically right now, like which, which friends got it right for you, which family members things, said things that really just took us so much strength to respond kindly to, you know, what, what can we, can we get an insight into what would have worked? And we know it's just for you. You can't speak for everybody. Specifically when it comes to transgender children, a lot of times when you tell somebody your child is trans, the immediate questions will be medical. Oh, like, what does that, are you going to let them do hormones? Are you going to do this? And that is so, you know, rather than just saying, I would rather just ask me about, oh, how are you doing? How is your child doing? The right thing to do is try to get to know my child and accept my child and not worry about the medical aspects or questions or, oh, are they, do you think they're going to have surgery one day? And I understand that because it's, it's new maybe, and people don't really know. And so maybe these are the things they're thinking about right away. But, but basically the, I think that's the worst thing you can do is bombard us about questions, you know, questions about medicine and surgery that are not really anybody's, you know, business. 
So the best thing you can do is just say, oh, you know, how, you know, how are you feeling? How's your child feeling? How can I be there for you? And I don't know what you need from me, but whatever you need from me, I'm here for you. So along those lines, is it, you know, and again, coming from a place of understanding as, a, as friends, as parents, the question of, so when did Ava know? Is that appropriate? Or like, is that part of sharing the story or are you, or does that go in the category of, you know what, not your business? I mean, I think that is, it, I think it depends on uh, the person and uh-huh. the intention behind the question. Sometimes I feel the way that question is posed, like, you know, when your child comes out at 13, 14 is like, oh, has this been going on and you've been You've been hiding it. She's been hiding it. Mm-hmm. I think it depends on how, you know, so it's one thing if it's a close friend and we've been talking for, you know, a while and, and things like that, you know, it's definitely okay for me to discuss that question, you know, when I'm, when I'm talking to, when I'm helping, you know, educate people in terms of when did she know, but, you know, but in terms of somebody one-on-one, you know, asking you, I think it really depends, you know, what the intention, you know, behind the question is and who it's coming from and, and what their relationship is with the person they're asking the question from. Like so much of life, right? Yes. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I mean, I think in terms of just generally educating the public, you know, one of the reasons I wrote my book is to let people know that, you know, Ava didn't know until she was a teenager and that not every trans kid knows when they're a young kid. And just because the child didn't know and the parent didn't know and the child is coming out later as a teenager or as a young adult doesn't mean that it's not real or any or that their trans identity is any less valid than somebody who's known since they were four or five years old. But I think in terms of, in general, a parent asking another parent that question, a friend asking another friend that question, it really just depends on the relationship, the context of the conversation, and the intention behind the questions. You have in your New York Times article, the three greatest lessons you've learned from having a transgender child. One of them you just brought up, which is that there's not one way to be trans or to transition, which I think is really helpful. And you shared that with us. So what are the other two? Being optimistic for your child is really, really important. When your child comes out as trans, when my child came out as trans, my immediate reaction was, was, oh, you're going to have such a hard life. It's going to be so, it's going to be hard for you to get a job. You might get bullied. You might have a hard time making friends. You might, you could get discriminated against in the future. It's like negative, 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 negative. I mean, somebody just told you something really big and really hard they've thought all these things. I mean, that's why they haven't come out yet, you know? (laughs) So you need to be positive and optimistic for your child. And you, you know, you need to say, okay, you, I'm so glad you can be your authentic self. You're going to have such a better life being your authentic self. There are no limits on what you can achieve. There's no limits on who you can be. And, you know, when I shifted my own thinking from pessimism to optimism, I started to believe it. And now I, I, I do believe it. I do believe there's no limits on my child or who my child can be. So I think that is really, really important when there when there's already so much negativity about being trans in the media, your home needs to be a safe space and not, not a 
you know, a a pessimistic fear-based negative space for your child. So that's one of them. Lead with love and not with fear was the other one that I had, you know, mentioned. You know, at any point that you're trying to you know, I think so much parenting is sort of fear-based. And so, for example, let's say your child says, you know, I want to wear, you know, this, uh, you know, a dress. And are you saying, I don't want you to wear this dress because you actually have an issue with your child wearing a dress? Or are you saying that because you're afraid that if they wear a dress, you know, they're going to get bullied? And so what sort of the, the love-based answer is, I don't have an issue with you wearing your dress. And the fear-based answer is, no, I don't want you to wear a dress because I don't want you to get bullied. And and that can extend to, you know, things like even when you're making, you know, medical decisions. Am I resisting medical transition because I'm afraid of these things versus what's the appropriate thing from the child in front of me today, if, if I wasn't afraid for my child and I was just looking at my child from sort of a lens of love, is it appropriate to allow my child to medically transition or not? Or, you know, you can sort of use that for any level of decision making, I feel like, and in almost any parenting scenario. And I, and I kind of think of it as almost in terms of like having a newborn and meeting their needs, you know, with a newborn, you meet their needs minute to minute and you don't let the outside world ever tell you what to do with your newborn. You're so protective and the one, you know, making all the decisions for your, for your newborn. And it, you know, it's almost kind of feels, you know, that same way, you know, what does a child in front of me today need from me? And what do I know is the right thing based on my heart and not based on the fear in my head? And that applies to all of us parenting and not just if we have a, a kid who comes out to us. So we're going to end with uh, the question we ask all of our guests. And obviously, you know a lot about teenagers, not only as a mom, but as a pediatrician, too. So what is the biggest myth about teens? I think there is a big myth that teenagers are very selfish or self-centered. And I actually think that's really very, very far from the truth. Teens are incredibly compassionate and absolutely do think of, you know, other people. Sometimes maybe their family isn't (laughs) the priority, (laughs) but certainly their friends, their peer group, the world, society at large, you know, they they think about, you know, a lot of things. And so, yeah, I think the idea that they're selfish or self-centered is a big myth. Dr. Paria Hasuri, thank you so much for being here with us. And I want to encourage everybody to go get her book, Found in Transition, A Mother's Evolution During Her Child's Gender Change. It's beautiful. It is compelling. And it'll give you insight into a mom's experience through her daughter's transition. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us for Your Teen with Sue and Steph. If you have any topics that you want us to talk about, let us know on our Facebook page or email editor at yourteenmag.com. Also, if you want to receive our newsletter, head on over to yourteenmag.com. Your Teen with Sue and Steph is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to executive producer Michael D'Aloya, plus producer Hannah Leach and audio engineer Eric Coltnow. If you like today's podcast, please leave us an iTunes review or send the episode to a friend. 
You can find more from us at yourteenmag.com, at evergreenpodcast.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.